Hey, welcome to the Chess Experience. On this show, it's all about helping adult improvers. I want to make learning chess easier for you to navigate, and I also want you to have a more fun experience along the way. I'm your host, Daniel Lona, a fellow chess amateur. Let's get to it. This show is sponsored by Chess.com, the world's largest chess community. Chess.com recently launched a new way to learn from your games with a feature called Insights. If you visit chess.com slash insights, you can get detailed stats and analysis in any of the time controls you've played and across any time period. What kind of things can you learn? Well, you can learn what time of day do you play your best, morning, afternoon, or night? What part of the game are you strongest or weakest, opening, middle game, or end game? Are you making more or less mistakes than opponents at your level? You can find out all this great info and much more at chess.com slash insights. Welcome to this week's episode. I hope you're doing well. Thank you for being patient with me and tuning in again. I know last week I didn't have an episode, just needed a brief break after 40 plus episodes this year. Uh, But, uh, you know, I'm re-energized, recharged, and all set to go and keep putting out weekly episodes for you. And before we dive into today's guest and all that, I first want to mention that on Thursday, December 1st, my online membership, Chess Improver Monthly, will feature a group coaching lesson from the awesome coach and national master, Ian Harris. This is a chance for you to submit one of your games for review or watch others get their games reviewed. You don't even have to attend live to get your game reviewed because the replay will be in the membership. So it's a fantastic opportunity to improve your chess. And just a quick note about Ian. Several months ago, I had the chance to be on Ian's Twitch stream and we talked about my podcast and I was on there with his co-host and fellow adult improver, Omar Mills. Ian reviewed one of my games during that stream, and it was amazingly helpful. He's really insightful, and he has a very kind, patient approach. So if you are especially someone who likes that in a coach, um, this is a great chance to uh, experience his coaching because I think it'll fit perfectly for you. Uh, And regardless of style, he is just a really, really knowledgeable coach and helpful. So I recommend joining the membership, getting in on his coaching. Again, that'll be live on December 1st. And not only do you get Ian's coaching, you also get lots of other benefits in the membership for just $15 a month. And you get to support the show too. So go click the link to join in the show notes or on the webpage for this episode. All right. Today's guest is the 2017 US Women's Champion, Women Grandmaster, Sabina Foischer. Sabina was born and raised in Romania, Both of her parents earned the international master title, so she grew up in a chess family. In 2008, Sabina moved to the United States and has lived here ever since then. Sabina has also represented the United States in the Women's Chess Olympiad several times, including most recently this year in 2022. And in this episode, we talk about her early years in Romania as a chess player and growing up in her chess family. Then we discuss her journey to become the 2017 U.S. Women's Champion, which includes an emotional story related to her mother's passing just before then. And we finish with the last 15 minutes or so of the interview answering some chess improvement questions from my followers, which I think you'll find helpful. 
Sabina does a great job because she's a coach too. And I hope you enjoy the episode with Sabina. Here's my chat with her. Hi, Sabina. How are you? Hi, uh, Daniel. I'm good. Thanks for having me to the show. Very excited to be here. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm excited to chat with you. In a moment, uh, we'll dive into kind of like all the questions I planned and, you know, your background and some chess improvement questions from followers and things like that. But before I kick it off, just want to ask how you're doing today. I'm doing all right. It's uh, it's not a very beautiful day outside. It's kind of one of these, you know, sad stormy days, actually, as we're recording this. But uh, hopefully that's not affecting my mood. You know, it just gives you <laughs> gives you time to uh, kind of plan your day indoors and just get more work done. You know, it, if it would be too beautiful, then you would have this temptation to go out and uh, and chill a little bit more. But you know, um, yeah, it it's it's good for me personally. So I'll just take that. Well, that's good. Yeah, I can see how. Uh... Yeah, I mean, that sometimes bad weather is conducive to getting a little bit more done at home, for sure. Uh, and where right. where are you? Because uh, I don't think uh, most people know where you're where you're living right now these days. Uh, right now, I live in North Carolina in uh, the Triangle area. Um, it's it's quite beautiful here. Um, I like it. Lots of nature. Um, so yeah, that's something that I enjoy. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And uh, so now you're in North Carolina. But you were born in Romania and grew up there. And uh, curious to know some more about that. So one thing that interested me that uh, I read about your background was that you were basically uh, a chess family, where it seemed like everyone played and was good at chess in your family, which is awesome. Can you talk a little bit about that and you know the, the chess background of your parents? That's right. Yeah. So I was born and raised in Romania to a chess family. Both my parents were international masters and quite uh, strong players in Romania. My dad was uh, actually a Romanian champion in 1982. Um, And then my mom won the Romanian championship, um, I believe, five times. And she was a top female player of the country for more than 20 years. Her career, um, you know, has been amazing back home and um you know when when they had me they thought it would be nice to share their passion for chess and teach me um to play so that we could travel together as a family you know the life of a chess player sometimes uh not sometimes like oftentimes you have to travel um to play in tournaments compete and so um, it, it is tough if you if you have a kid that you have to let home and then they would just, you know, they would only see me. I think that was their vision, you know, so um, that that would. Do mean, that, sorry. Do you mean that they would they wanted you to compete with them like at the same events? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Then we could travel together and compete. And then, of course, I think they had the vision that I could uh, become to be, uh, you know, top. A female player in the world potentially um, but also you know they wanted to share their passion and we could do it together as a family which you might not have the possibility to do so if you have let's just say um, you know nine to nine to five typical type of job or um, you know so with chess that's something that you can do together and I think that was their vision for for us 
Yeah, that's amazing. That's really interesting. <laughs> and it, it may have already partially answered my next question, all the stuff you said. I was going to ask you if your parents, like what kind of attitude they had or, or approach, maybe is the better word, or approach they had in teaching you chess, whether they there was you know a lot of pressure or whether they were pretty easygoing. But <laughs> if they had a vision of you be- becoming perhaps you know, one of the top female players in the world, or maybe the top female player in the world, it's hard to imagine they would have been pretty chill about how, how they approach your chess. But, well, but, uh, yeah, not what? quite, not quite, actually, <laughs> you know. Um, so a couple of things, of course, um, you know, the there was, uh, I think at first there was this idea, because oftentimes I would have conversations with my mom about it. And it was this idea that how to... Um, let me see how to phrase it best. But the idea that that's what they knew best and they wanted to uh, share that with me because they felt that that's something that they knew best. And, you know, in, in case I know it sounds kind of cheesy or, you know, it may be perceived as bad, but in case everything else failed, I had something to uh, to rely on, like chess, you know, like if anything else failed, I, would, I wouldn't be good at anything else. I had it kind of as a thing as well, you know, as a something to fall back to in a way, I think. Uh, but, it, but um, you know, it, it developed into definitely more than that. My parents always emphasized on other things too. Like I, I went to school, um, they emphasized very much on me learning different languages so that I could communicate, express myself, talk to people and just develop in an overall really, uh, you know, good person and um, just have uh, general knowledge about uh, multiple things. So obviously chess may have been the focus, but there were other things that uh, they emphasized on. And as parents, um, I think... Uh, sometimes there was this good cop, bad cop kind of thing. So my mom was, <laughs> she was always uh, the the very supportive, uh, positive, ambitious person that I always looked up to as a very strong female role model for me. Uh, my dad was more like the tough, the tough one. So sometimes I was struggling, and I think I'm still struggling to this day to really. Um, see how how he was because he was both a parent and a coach and so I felt the a double toughness in a way personally as I was growing up I I felt that oftentimes that he wasn't proud of me of regardless of whether I was doing well or not I, I felt that I wasn't good enough at times and so I he he was like the tough one pushing and um in a way um you know that <laughs> affected my my uh my life but um i'm oftentimes grateful for that because if he hadn't pushed me i wouldn't be where i am and he kind of dedicated um his life to supporting us uh, as a family so my mom uh, he became our coach my mom myself and i also have a sister who's uh, about four and a half years younger than me and also, when she turned around four and a half, because that was about the age that we both learned to play chess, she also started learning the game and um, we would train together, travel together. And um, I, I felt in general that uh, my dad was kind of, you know, the, the coach behind and um, kind of the tough, like I said, the bad cop in a way. But, um, you know, you sometimes need need that to... Um, 
to realize what your goals are and kind of work towards them and kind of keep us on track with that. Right. Yeah, I can imagine how that would have some advantages and some disadvantages at the same time. Um, yeah. Of course, there are pluses. I just sorry, I just wanted to say this too. Of course, there are pluses to this because, um, you know, we didn't have to have another coach, another someone else's perspective we didn't have to, you know, spend financial resources, which we didn't have as much at the time. And so um, that that was the that was a plus thing, because, you know, sometimes uh, when let's say parents want their kids to learn to play chess, sometimes there's this financial part that they have to invest in the kid and um you know you you do not know how it works but you know there's there's always a trade-off i think um time as a resource and financial resources um are always tricky to discuss you know um yeah yeah that's a great point and it's something that's come up a couple of times on this show and i think I think it's important because I think um, you know I, I think it's inexpensive just to just to say play a game of chess or, or to regularly play with your friends or something like that. But when you when when the goal is to like <laughs> consistently improve as much as your potential allows, then it can get quite expensive. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, at the time that I grew up, uh, computers weren't yet um you know as big of a thing as they are now so these days people have a little bit like easier access to information than say you know 40 50 years ago obviously for me it wasn't that much ago but <laughs> like tw even 20 years ago there wasn't so much uh, out there yet that you could utilize all the resources so these days if you want to play a game of chess even a tournament uh you can play it online, right? And there right. could be there could be financial incentives for that too. So things have certainly changed, and you just need to figure out um, how you want to to approach it. Obviously, in my opinion, over the board chess is very different than online chess, and um, you kind of have to do the over the board first before you become, you know, known and. Um, you're able to maybe say make your living from online <laughs> potentially. So, but right, yeah. right. So, I mean, we'll talk about your chess career once you came to the U.S. in a moment. But I want to just take a minute to highlight maybe something from your chess career while you were in Romania. I know there's probably a lot to dive into there before you moved to the U.S. and while you were still in Romania. Do you have like a, a standout memory for yourself in your competitive chess career, maybe an event or a title or even just a game that uh, just stands out to you as a, like a really positive or meaningful moment that you remember well? Yeah, of course. Actually, I think there are two that are kind of important. So first one was when I was around uh, eight years old. I that That's the one that I remember the most. Of course, there were some others. But when I was eight, I remember winning the European Championship for girls under eight. I might have been a little bit younger than that. And uh, I, I believe it was rapid. And I knew that I really enjoyed the competitiveness and just getting better. So that I could be on the podium all the time. So that was kind of a, a point where, where I told myself, I really want to keep working at this and get better, even if it's hard, even if I don't like specific things. I would, I would do that because, you know, I like that 
part the most. Um, so <laughs> that was the first kind of step where I realized, okay, I will do this. My parents, you know, I mean, maybe I don't want to listen because a lot of kids oftentimes they maybe don't agree with their parents, but overall you really uh, will be thankful later on. Um, and then the biggest success that I had as a chess player, I would say it was in 2007. In 2007, I competed in the um, women in the European Women's um, Championship that took place play, uh, took place in Dresden, Germany. And I remember I started that tournament really badly. Um, we went um, the four of us uh, to the tournament. Um, my dad was the coach, and I remember we rented this apartment and. Um, we were all competing and I started with some losses. I, you know, I was towards the bottom of the, uh, standings. I never had, I, I always dreamed of, of finishing on top, but I, considering that at the time my rating wasn't like super high that I actually had a chance. I, I you know, I was dreaming it, but I think I didn't have sufficient trust in myself that I could do it. And I remember like really trying hard in the second part of the event to really come back. And I had this really gorgeous game against um, um, Arahamia Grant Ketevan. She's um, originally from Georgia, Georgia, but been living in um, Scotland for quite some time. And I was, I always loved that game. Um, she played some strange sideline from, from a Benoni and I just got a brilliant attack and um, there was this position that all of her pawns were were isolated and I just started grabbing them one by one and that was um, a moment in that specific tournament that changed my path so towards the mm. end of it I actually finished um, in the qualifying um, in the top players that would qualify for the women's world championship and um I had to play a, a match in the after the last round. We were two, uh, we were two girls on the final spot to qualify, and I had to play this this uh, rapid match against uh, uh, Georgian. I think she's an international master, uh, Lominishvili, and I remember winning that match and being so excited that I qualified, you know, for the women's world championship, which was, you know, a great achievement. It's not easy even these days to qualify to be one of the, because it's a knockout system tournament. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's not easy. And so that, that, was, that, that was the game that I think changed everything and gave me confidence that I can do this because it was a really well-played game. Uh, no mistakes uh, from my side. I believe I even made a video about that um, when I was posting on YouTube. And it's just... Uh, yeah, that was that was a thing that happened 2007 before <laughs> um, before coming to the U.S. That's that's for sure. It you know the whole story together um, and being able to be with my family there um, it just meant a lot because we were just very supportive of each other and um, yeah, it worked out for me. So wow, that's amazing. Yeah, there's a few things about that that I wanted to uh, mention. That's a, that's a fantastic story. So one is I want to see if I can find that video if it's still up on YouTube, because I'm now very curious to see the game. Uh, <laughs> sure. It sounds awesome. Uh, and then also, you said, um, you kind of answered a question I had about that game, which was, you know, obviously, 
getting the point helps. But beyond that, it sounds like emotionally it propelled you and maybe allowed you to do even better afterwards uh, after winning that game. Is, is that right? Like you said, like it had kind of an emotional effect for you. Yes, I think psychology is very important for um, chess players. So obviously, I cannot speak for both genders, but um, for many other um, female players that I know that um, I've talked to about this, I can see that psychology is very important going into um, into a tournament and knowing how to keep the balance, even if you do badly, just knowing how to re-motivate yourself to keep fighting. Um, I think that is something um, that everyone has to work on. And I will always have that to, to be thankful to my mom for, because in many competitions, she uh, showed me how sometimes she can, tr- uh, not sometimes, she almost always showed me that, uh, going through a struggle can only make you um, better and um, and just gives you this this ambition to to come back I never I saw her being upset obviously everyone gets upset when they lose a game and you know from the psychology point of view if you're a fan for example uh, and you you have these high expectations of X person and then you see them after a loss you go to them let's say and you ask them for for let's say a signature or an interview and they just treat you like you're nothing please please hold your thoughts to that because there's so many emotions going on when you're playing a chess game that sometimes people don't have the time to let them go and just suddenly pull up this face like everything is great obviously it's not great you might know that too but not everyone has the ability to change immediately so um, you know, you might have to hold on a little bit with your with your fandom <laughs> and just give them some time to to get back from that. And then I'm sure, uh, you know, it will be nice. Um, it will be a nice encounter. Uh, but anyways, I was, I was saying that, that my mom always uh, always showed me that um, after a tough game, uh, after a tough even tournament, she would um, she would always come back stronger and um, and really do something to change that uh, that re- result and not let it affect her and um, I try to approach that as well so mm, yeah, yeah that's a great lesson. <laughs> I love that no that's fantastic and uh, I mean like I guess a very belated congratulations on that but that's an amazing achievement you know obviously qualifying for the women's world championship I mean that's that's incredible so that's, that's very cool that that game help lead to that uh, that achievement that's that's yeah. great around two or in 2008 you moved to the united states and i believe i'm not exactly sure i think you were about 18 or 19 at that time and I'm, I'm just curious like what what motivated you to to move here yeah sure so um i was um i had just turned 19 and um i had graduated um from high school in may or or june after i passed uh, this baccalaureate exam which is kind of um like in the u.s would be the sats that you pass um after you finish high school to to get into college and um i remember having to think about what my life would look like like if I would try to just focus on on chess or um, try to go to college as well and continue developing my 
you know, academic background and just uh, just develop my general knowledge, I guess, in specific things or just focus on something else. And um, it's been a struggle in a way um, because I really wanted to do chess, but I never felt like there was enough support in Romania. Um, and I was very much disappointed with the way, um, you know, the... Um, the Romanian Federation at the time, people who were working at it had um, treated my family. It is just, you know, some stories that I'd rather live in the past, you know, but sure. it just didn't feel like it didn't feel like I um, I would be so much supported. So I would have to continue su to support myself uh, chess wise and I knew that there are opportunities to um, go to school in the United States. Like there were some universities that would offer scholarships for strong players. Um, so they would pursue, uh, you know, they would go to school, they would pursue a degree, and then they would compete for the collegiate um, championships for that specific university. And... Um, Yeah, I kind of followed the, the path of, um, um, I decided to follow the path of, of taking that opportunity, um, applying uh, to school and um, at UMBC, which is University of Maryland in Baltimore County. And they had a really strong program and uh, they had won collegiate championships and final four. And I thought, okay, um, Let me try that too. And I can use chess and I can continue combining chess, but also, you know, improve my English and just, uh, you know, get a degree and just have the ability to um, develop more skills. Um, so I applied, I got in and um, yeah, there there were some stories leading up to that too as to how I made it because it seemed like everything was last minute Um, <laughs> starting with my, you know, I had to take a TOEFL test, which was this test of English to make sure that your English is good enough that you could actually go to, um, uh, go to college, you know, because <laughs> they didn't require SAT, I remember for me. Um, so yeah, there, there are a lot of things that happened last minute somehow, but in the end, it turned out that, you know, they accepted me, they wanted me to be a part of their team. And, um, I, I made the decision in the end that, um, I, I wanted to, to combine chess and, and education and, um, yeah, I came. So it just, I guess a little bit of a non-chess question, because it's just interesting to me to make that shift to, you know, live in one country for your entire youth, you know, and then as an adult start in a new country, how long does it, or did it take for you at least to, to feel acclimated and feel like, okay, this is, this is my home now? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, Daniel. I don't know if it ever happens completely. <laughs> yeah. I don't think... It can happen for everyone. Obviously, there are things that um, I got used to. It was hard in the beginning because I was uh, without my family and I knew life with my family. I was very close to my grandparents too. And um, basically, I left everything behind and I just went across the ocean 
where I wouldn't be able to get any support if I needed anything. I couldn't call my mom or I could to complain or to cry <laughs> or, you know, and she was, she was always there to listen to me. But yeah, um, to, I, I miss, I miss specific things. I think, um, I kind of got used to, to being here. Um, and, and I feel now that I have two homes. Um, mm -hmm. so, but there are things that I miss or I, things that I feel are maybe lacking in one culture and are more present in another culture. Um, sure. I, I feel that people are, um, a little bit, I, okay, let's not make like clear, clear statements like that because obviously there are stereotypes, <laughs> but, um, I, I, I just, I, I miss sometimes food or I miss the, the ability to, to just sit and talk. It's, it's a lot business, business like yeah. more, more business like in the US. Um, and, um, business oriented, better said. And, um, so that's, that is one thing. Obviously, I left also friends behind when I left, but I was able to, to meet amazing people here in the US that I'm very grateful for. And, um, it's uh, it's always very tricky. You know, I think yeah. the reason the reason I can't say that is just I have just one home is because sometimes, um, let's just say, because English is now my native language, right? I still struggle with specific expressions that I hadn't heard, which is strange <laughs> in all these years not to have heard everything. But there are still expressions <laughs> I didn't hear or specific way people are talking. Uh, I can't always tell if they are joking or serious and then <laughs> I, i've i've i started thinking in english which is great but you know sometimes when i go back especially when i have to talk to grandma who does not speak english um <laughs> i can't remember words in my native language so that makes me feel kind of like i'm betraying my my origins mm. you know um or yeah, so so it's kind of like you know you just kind of feel in the middle. You don't know if you really belong in one place or another anymore. I have those kind of yeah. thoughts sometimes, but it's not that bad that it affects me. You know. It's sure. Oh well, I mean, I appreciate you sharing that. I'm sure there's mixed feelings about it all. You know, being in in, in another country for for that long. In any case, uh, for what it's worth, uh, I, I'm happy that you're here. <laughs> and <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I'm sure I'm sure that transition, or you know, maybe it's always like it, it's never a trans. As you're kind of saying, it's never like a, a transition per se. It's always just something that's um, ongoing and and maybe never, you know, like you said, feel like perfectly settled. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, it's just I was just gonna say it's 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 tough sometimes with with specific things and uh, not having someone there that you can call to and they can come help you. I see it often with some of my friends being able to call their parents or their parents just helping them with things, uh, supporting them, and and I just you know just that closeness is is something that I'm very much used to. Um, well, I was used to, and obviously I learned to um, to be independent and and get most things myself. But that that sometimes, you know, just um, missing the 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 ability to have someone figure some things out for you, make it a little bit easier. That's that's always nice to have, and um, yeah, that, that's been a little bit of my struggle, but. 
it's okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, so uh, back to uh, the subject of chess. Um, when you moved to the United States, I imagine – well, this will just be like a really short question to start. Uh, I sure. imagine you, you had in mind – going for winning the u.s women's championship is is that right because you told me that winning a country's championship was important to you yes um so yeah so when i first moved um i i was thinking that i would eventually compete but it it kind of it's very interesting because around the time that i switched federations it was a little bit after that that the u.s championship started being organized in san luis so I think in a way I felt connected to that because uh, my, you know, moving, like switching federations and the start of the chess club uh, and Scholastic Center of San Luis, which became, you know, like it's the capital of chess in, in America and all the support that um, Rex and Dr. Jeannie Singfield have done, you know, to chess has been amazing ever since um it, it's just kind of coincide there was like a coincidence i think and i just realized it was big just uh you know around that time like within a year or two after i switched federations because they the way it was organized before the 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 championship it didn't seem as prestigious but it made it even more prestigious being organized there and just the the way the organization is it, it's always um, really amazing. And so it just becomes, I feel that it becomes more and more prestigious because of everything surrounding it. It's already prestigious to be the champion of your country, but the way they make it, I think it, they make it even more. So, um, I really like, uh, I, I always wanted, because seeing my mom, I, I think for, I don't know for which reason, but I never, played a Romanian championship. I do not know why. I can't tell you why. Um, I never competed into one of those. Uh, for I, I competed for kids. So for I, I won a lot of medals, um, usually gold. I think only one time I or two, two times I didn't get gold in every single category, all the way from under girls under 10 to girls under 20, pretty much got all the golds. Um, but I never competed in like a w- women overall, you know, I do not know why it's always been during school or something I couldn't miss. And, um, so after coming here, I was like, I need to do this. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, um, you know, like I said, because of my family, um, always supporting me with chess and just wanting all these things for me. It, it was kind of a motivation, but in the same time, of, I put a very much pressure on myself. I put a lot of stress um, that I have to play well, and then I would oftentimes just mess it up so badly because I would really want to win all my games. <laughs> and the first few years, it was really bad. It was not the right approach to a tournament in general. Um, <laughs> because, you know, you need to learn specific things. And just having that is great. But there are other things that you have to consider. And, um, you know, my, my approach wasn't good, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> But I really, you know, I, I wish to, to win and I would often talk to my mom about it. And I told you about the supportiveness that she had. And I always felt it from her. Uh, 
was she was staying up late. Let's not forget, there were like eight hours difference between U.S. Central Time and Romania. Eight hours, right? So she was normally sleeping at or was getting ready to go to bed at the time that I would start the game, right? 1 a.m., uh, 1 a.m., 1 p.m. Uh, Central Time is, is um, 9 p.m., right? So she would always stay till midnight, 1, and just kind of watch the games live and then be there for me when I finished, whether I won or lost, she would talk to me and encourage me and maybe even send me some thoughts and preparation and what to do. Um, so I kind of, I had all that support and then I couldn't do well. That was, it was tough. Yeah, that's so. frustrating. But, but um, I'm curious about like what you felt you needed to achieve to get there. And you'll have to forgive me a little bit because I'm not as clear on like what, what's needed to bridge that gap, not just necessarily even to win, but maybe even just to qualify to attend the U.S. women's. For a starting point, when you arrived in the U.S., you already had the WGM title, right? Yes, yes. I got that um, when I t before I turned 18 or I had all my norms. And I think, I don't remember exactly when FIDE gave it to me, but it was like before I turned 18. So um, I got my title. Yeah, I also had two IM norms, but unfortunately, okay. they're still there. Nothing's happened okay. to those. <laughs> <laughs> so what did what did you have to do from like where you were at that point when you arrived in the U.S. to even just qualify to to attend the U.S. Women's? Ah, okay. So they made the tournament as a closed format, so invitational. Um, and uh, the way they invite uh, people is by rating. So there's a specific formula that everyone can find on U.S. Chess Federation website on how they calculate the ratings. So based on those ratings, it, it has to do with your, it's a combination of USCF rating and FIDA rating, and then an average rating that you had for the past year in both USCF and FIDA. Uh, and they have this formula to calculate it. And um, then they also count how many games you played each year. So if you weren't an active player, if you haven't uh, played at least 30 games per year, um, then um, you would get minus points. So, it, yeah, this formula can be found online. So that's how you get um, to be invited for the U.S. Championship and U.S. Women's Championship. They have one wild card that they usually give. And, of course, they give uh, – There's um, if you win the championship, then next year you are invited automatically. And then uh, U.S. Junior Girls um, Champion also gets invited in the next U.S. Um, championship and U.S. Women's Okay, in the U.S. Women's <laughs> Championship, because we're talking about that one. Let's let's be right. clear on that. So uh, that's the invitational part. And then to win it, so here's the thing. Like, I think I was overall able to balance both my academic work and, uh, and chess, so kind of maintaining a similar level. But then, um, uh, you know, for this competition, you have to miss school, let's say, right, for the amount of time that it takes. And since it's you know, uh, 12 players, it's at, at least um, 11 days plus one or two rest days. So it could be up to two weeks of school, right, that you're missing. So if you're a student, you have to balance your schoolwork and and playing, and sometimes you have to study uh, or submit papers while the competition is taking part. So this is what's happening during it. But before it, you obviously have to dedicate time to train. And that is something that in some years, I was able to do more than others. After I graduated, 
uh, I went on to pursue my master's degree. So for about six years, right, I was in school and um, balancing chess and 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 schoolwork, but um, maybe more schoolwork than chess. <laughs> I focused a little bit more on grades and getting good grades in order to maintain my scholarship. By the way, I had to maintain at least a 3.0 uh, GPA. So obviously you should not be failing and being competitive, as I've already mentioned, and maybe you can tell from the way, you know, I'm speaking and everything, but uh, <laughs> I don't like to get a bad grade. Okay. So my grades had to be stellar. Um, I've gotten um, one or two Bs occasionally. Oh, well, um, throughout the years I've gotten as a grade B, but um, overall my, my average was eventually turning into an A. And that's kind of what I always wanted because I always wanted to be really good at everything that I did. And um, when you have those high expectations, sometimes it's it's uh, tough to... <laughs> You're very tough on yourself. You're just very tough on yourself. So I wasn't able to do uh, very well that balancing. It's easier said than done, of course. Uh, but you really have to put time to prepare for it. Yeah, no, I imagine it's very difficult to balance both of those. What year was it that you received your first invite to the U.S. Women's? It was actually 2009. So uh, the, the tournament at the time was taking place in uh, October or November, I think. So it was like I had already been transferred. Um, and then, the, yeah, I got the invitation within that year towards the end of ah. it. Okay, yeah. so yeah, this is definitely what well, sounds like uh, a long journey to when you finally won. So if you your first year with competing there was two thousand nine, yeah, then you won in twenty seventeen, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a, <laughs> really long, journey. yeah. Well, I'm, but I mean, <laughs> almost no one wins it anyhow, so it's still amazing. But um, but I mean, I I actually appreciate that and I like that. Those stories are always the most interesting to me, where it doesn't come instantly or easily that it's you know it's a journey i think that's very relatable for a lot of people you know listening to that so going into 2017 did you sense or feel like this this could be the year like you were right on the cusp of it no actually not so a few things happened around that year so uh first of all like in 2000 um so after i graduated from college and and um i Felt that I could dedicate a little bit more time to chess. I wasn't sure exactly if I wanted to go into a PhD because I, I wasn't as passionate about the topic as much that I could do it. And I, I asked a few of my professors and they told me, look, Sabina, you have to work for four years in, for this. And if you're not passionate enough, you will already have a lot of, you'll be very stressed about it. And if you're not passionate, you shouldn't do it. So I was kind of debating on how to pursue my life after after you know finishing my master's degree I had a job for some time and then when I got the job my boss told me that you know you could you could still play chess but then she changed her mind uh, that was in 2016 and then 2016 was also a pretty good year I think I finished in top five uh, in US championship that year so it, it was pretty good and then um, I, I had 2016 a good year. And towards the end of it, um, I also got into another master's program in sociology um, in Texas. I thought, you know, I, I thought I, I found another passion and that was to work with refugees. And I thought a degree in sociology 
would would be something that you know would help me um but then towards the end of the year um I heard from my mom that she was not feeling very well towards 2016 and I wasn't exactly sure what was going on um but um she didn't say she didn't sound like it was very bad um I think for some time she just knew what it was but she didn't want to share it she w- she would sometimes do that um and at the beginning of 2017 she told me that she's going to go to the doctor to get this uh, mole on her body removed and um after that happened it was um she was told that it was you know cancer and that was at the beginning of the year and when i heard that i panicked because you know they told her it was melanoma and uh, that she had to start undergoing chemo and everything so as soon as i heard that i took the first flight i bought, bought my sister a flight to go back to romania to just you know be with her and um dropped everything in the US and yeah. uh just just went back and what happened was um uh seems like that um the melanoma was in a bad bad state like it was at the final stage or something because it had spread in her body and by the time I actually got back although I bought the ticket immediately like as soon as I heard that that was the result like as soon as we got back we heard that she had i don't know if it was a stroke or what exactly it was but she entered in a coma um mm-hmm. this was around like say maybe 7 16th 17th of january and like so we arrived both of us there and she was in a coma and i just we didn't know what to do by the time i got there like i said she was in coma and all the prayers and everything unfortunately did not help there was um nothing that could be done we were told by the doctors there and um all i managed to tell her well i told her i believe she heard me i don't know if she did but i told her that i will try my best to um uh, like make her proud and i knew that you know the winning the us championship would so um yeah she ended up passing away on the night of uh, 21st of um 21st of january and i didn't know what to do i had uh been invited for us championship too and i had to find a way to uh to kind of find motivation and fi- find the power to uh to train and i think everything kind of combined the fact that it, it was just such a tough time but i kind of dropped everything else so there was nothing else for me to do than to train on chess so that i could forget and kind of do something that would kind of be inspiring I found the power to to you know to just work on chess and stay focused only on that. I wasn't teaching maybe maybe I I I was still teaching a few classes but most of my students understood or, and I just kind of just focused on 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 chess only on my trying to get better and then of course with like I said with spending time with 
with family home. And then I also went to Iran for the world championship um, where they had a beautiful um, kind of moment of silence for my mom. And they gave me this like statue of a, of a dark horse. My mom was a huge fan of, of knights and the game of chess. That was her favorite piece. And it is mine too. <laughs> and um, it, it just, it just was, um, you know, I did that and I worked on chess and I just was thankful that, that I was able to have some very close people around me that supported me so that I could just focus on that. And, um, I think that was helpful because I didn't need to do anything else. When you're an adult, this is the difference that when you have this transition from childhood to adulthood, when you're a kid, your parents support you the most. When you become an individual on your own, you're still supported by your parents, but you have to find your own path and you don't have oftentimes something to lean back on. Like you have to figure out on your own and you have all these things that have to be done. Um, you need to make a living. You have to, you know, think if you're going to have a family, at least as a woman, you have those things that you're thinking about. And I had those things, but then like in that specific time frame, it was very tough and I kind of forgot about everything else. And I was able to just do that, which is just, like I said, something that I was, you know, I'm thankful for the people who are close to me that kind of gave me that strength so I could just do that. It didn't happen yeah. after it because, you know, there's just a tough moment and you kind of have to figure it out on your own after. But it was that. And just having started tough, like, personally, I wasn't thinking that I could win the tournament. Um, I started with two out of four um, in the U.S. Championship 2017. And uh, my partner, Grandmaster Elshan Muradia Badi, he was like, he told me after it that he always believed I could win. I mean, I don't know if he really did or not, <laughs> but but basically he was he was like, I I know he can do it, Sabina, and you know, um, he's um, just kind of made things easy for me at the time, and um, you know, just helped me help me just focus on it, and um, it, I. I didn't realize where I was until the last round, to tell you the truth. I didn't realize I was like I was sharing first places because I was That's like in the was middle ask of the you. field. Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask you, like, at what point did you start to believe that you could win? I, I wasn't thinking about it. I think that was the great <laughs> stuff and the bad stuff, too. I was just literally, it was just so tough because imagine, like, I lost my mom uh, end of January, right? And I had to compete in March. So, like, mm. that's, like... To less than oh, two wow. months that's less than two months to um to to kind of get your stuff together and not struggle i'm still struggling now talking about her you might feel that i'm emotional but it's just you never get over it it was uh, we were so close to each other and just that happening it was just you know and i all often thought of her and even during the games i would go to the bathroom and cry like, it was just, you know, I would just remember. So I just feel like her spirit somehow, something, everything worked, everything kind of worked to to somehow that year, um, you know, help me um, win the championship, but to a tragedy, like, with a tragedy happening too. So, 
you see yeah. it's it's tough <laughs> wow that's so much less time than i thought i i just assumed because i'd seen several i think recent u.s women's that have taken place in the fall including yes. this year that i was thinking as you were telling this story that it was a timeline between january and say october that you were preparing but it was only march so yes they, it was just they changed later. it that, wow yeah. They changed it with COVID. They changed it with COVID. It used to be uh, April, March, um, or April, uh, sorry, March or April, uh, or around that time. And then they changed it from um, a couple of years ago, 2020, with the COVID starting and everything. That's when they changed it. And they will keep it in the fall now. But at the time, yeah. So it was 2009 was in the fall. And then they started having it, like I said, around, you know, springtime. And then now it's moved back to then. But yeah, the time that I played, it was, uh, I think it finished in April something. So wow. end of March, yeah. So I, let's see, from 2009 was your first year. So this is 2017. So eight years of working towards this goal. You achieve it after eight years of hard work. And as we talked about, you talked about during this um, very difficult personal time for you. So once you won, how did that feel? What what were you thinking? I just wish that she was there. You know, I just I, I knew she was, but I just wish I could call her. Um, so I, I was just very happy and thankful. Um, and uh, that's all I could I could think about. Yeah. Uh, of course, first thing was that, you know, um, when I got back to my room, I got the phone, I called, you know, my sister, grandma, first grandma, then sister. And then I tried to call my dad, too. I was really disappointed because he was sleeping. He wasn't watching my last <laughs> round. I was like, come on, <laughs> you know. Um, right. I, I thought he would be watching, you know. Your daughter has the chance to win this. But, well... <laughs> Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, that at, before the last round, I think that was really the moment that I thought that I actually have the chance to win. And I kind of went in knowing that there's a chance and I just need to take all my chances. Uh, and then of course, psychologically, I also changed my, my opening. Like I didn't play what I would normally play, but I played in that tournament, Queen's Gambit declined. I played the Nimzovich. I tried to kind of get the because psychology is important at any moment. But I think psychology starts becoming important in a in a tournament once you reach a certain level and um especially with the opening choice. Um I know there was uh, something you wanted to ask me regarding like you know how you pick an opening and things like that and I think um you know at a higher level it matters a little bit more. Um, and for me at the time, I remember I just didn't want to play like an equal position. I wanted to have my chances to um, to have something that was imbalanced or not symmetrical for that specific game because kind of a win would give me the most chances, of course, to just win, sole win. Um, so I wanted to kind of have the opportunity to take all those chances. And I, yeah, it was a, it turned out to be, you know, great um, opening choice. Um, and uh, that would be, you know, my second, because you asked me, you know, about my best game at the time when I was still in Romania <laughs> in the US. In the US, this was probably, that was probably the best, the last round win. Um, yeah. And um, yeah. 
That's amazing. I, I yeah, I appreciate the insights on that, the, the psychology of it. Obviously, uh, you and I'm sure other people hearing the story wish that it happened under better circumstances for you. But um, in spite of that, it's an incredible achievement. And um, I appreciate you sharing your story, too. I know it's not easy to talk about that. So uh, thank you for being open and, and, and willing to share everything that was going on around that time. Um, but uh, I, I do want to wish you congratulations on winning that incredible, incredible tournament. So uh, thank yeah, you. I just wanted to say that. Yeah. So just shifting a bit towards the, the final part of our, our chat here to questions from uh, someone who's in my membership and a couple from my Twitter followers. I just want to kind of introduce it so people know that uh, you are a coach as well. I know we talked a lot about your your uh, your competitive chess career, um, but so people know that you, you're also a chess coach and um and I know that you you told me that you're you're putting more time into that these days, which is awesome. So uh, we'll we'll kind of get into a little mini coaching segment here. Um, Sounds good. So yeah. So my first question for you is from someone who's a, in my membership, Chess Improver Monthly. His name is Jason King, and he asks this question: As a lower rated player, is there any advice you can give? As to when to trade queens in the middle game, he says, I generally try to hold on to mine as long as I can, but realize this may not always be best. Okay, I'll try my best. It's it's always a tricky question because it depends also, so like I said, psychology, right? But it also depends the type of player that you are, right? So if you are more of an aggressive player, right, and you enjoy attacking, then obviously you want to keep your queen on the board more. And then if you're more of a positional player or you enjoy end games, then you might want to trade it. Well, that's what you want to do. Now, let's not forget this game is played between <laughs> you and your opponent, right? So your opponent is very important. And I always emphasize on this. One time I actually stayed at a, at a uh, I was listening to a lecture by, by Grandmaster uh, Maurice Ashley. And I was inspired in how he was telling everyone, guys, your opponent is the most important. It's not you. Think about that. And of course you think about it, but... When you hear someone who's like a motivational speaker is telling you that and also a strong player, um, you just are like, wow, yes, I need to use that for my own coaching. So remember, your opponent is the most important and you always have to think about what they want to do and you always have to think about the position. So you want to make the decisions based on how the position is, uh, what it requires and your mostly playing the position um, on the board. If you feel that trading queens and going into the end game is going to be beneficial for you and you have chances to play for a win, then you should do that. If your opponent is attacking you, you're going to try to trade queens. It's, it's a very narrow uh, question the way he's asking it because, of course, it depends on each position. But in general, you want to try to kind of evaluate the position, understand what the problems are for both sides and kind of, you know, just make the decision based on that. It doesn't matter if you have the queens on the board or not. It matters how your position is. I think that's more important. You don't need to be panicked about the queen trades, but you also don't have to do it on purpose. So just kind of go with the position, always the position. Um, I don't know if that answers completely his question, but I cannot give a more concise like answer <laughs> than that. No I think. 
Yeah, no, I know it's difficult because, uh, as you said, it depends on on several variables. But uh, no, I think that's very helpful, actually. Yeah. Um, my next question comes from uh, Sean, who's a follower of mine on Twitter. He's uh, just as a little bit of context. He is rated fifteen hundred on Lee Chess Classical. He has this question. He says, I'm, "I always seem to mess up with my pawns in the in the late, middle, early end game." Whether I have a numerical pawn advantage on my opponent or not, I will usually end up getting the worst of it. Are there any resources or ways of studying that you would recommend for improving this area? The end game area in general. He is yeah, it seems like that's more what he's saying. Maybe he's having trouble with pawn structures and things like that. Or yeah, I think there's um there's a book by Grandmaster Mauricio, Mauricio Flores that talks about pawn um, structure. I believe it's even called pawn structure, but he's usually addressing middle games. So obviously there are um, important principles that you have to kind of guide yourself by. So for example, if you're going to have um, a rook end game and uh, you don't know how you're going to place your kingside pawns, you always want to put them in a chain, that way you are only keeping one weakness, right? And you always want to put them F2, G3, H4. The reason you do that, when you have your pawns in a chain, you only have one weakness. And you always want to keep your weakness closer to the center so that you can easily, easier, protect it easier with your king uh, or rook or something, right? And then um, you also, depending on how the majority, your majority or your opponent's majority is, having the pawns that way is going to force more trades. If, for example, your opponent has four and you have three, that's the perfect placement of pawns. As they create their majority, you're going to start trading the pawns off and um, you're trading all of them. And then he only stays with one, which is easier to stop in a rook end game, let's just say. So you want your weaknesses to be closer to the center. That's if your pawns are connected. Also, having them that way helps with bringing the king up. You don't want to stay cut off. The king is very important in end games, So king kind of helps with the pawn structures. Um, so that would be one advice that I would give um, regarding pawns and specific places to study. I Nothing comes to mind right now, but I would recommend just doing... Um, just um, studying um, uh, different kinds of endgames. There are many books out there that address endgames, and um, the the one a lot of people are recommended are recommending is um, uh, Silman's um, Endgame mm. Course. I think it's called. Yeah. That one is a good one. Uh, Yasser Sarawan wrote a book too. There are many books on end games. When you study those, look at the way the pawns are being placed and just try to kind of um, um, see how people were were dealing with 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 weaknesses in general. And you know that. I don't know how, again, how more than that <laughs> can be helpful unless it's specific and just giving more examples. Like it would have to be, you know, giving specific examples. But in general, kind of being mindful about how your structure, your pawn structure is, um, that's how you can, you know, get helped. And don't forget if it's something that involves rooks, always try to get them active. Seventh rank, <laughs> sixth rank. Right. Because uh, you're looking where those weaknesses are, right? So that's, yeah, once you start um, understanding that 
the pawn structure is very important to the game of chess pretty much at every one of its stage from opening all the way to end game. Uh, when you start really acknowledging that and not just looking at how you're going to make your opponent faster, um, that's when you start developing more and just improving more as a player. Um, we have this tactical view that we have to sacrifice or do something crazy like that, but <laughs> chess is more beautiful than that. It it has a lot of themes that can be discovered, a lot of ideas, and you have to have an open mind to develop your creativity. And it's by, I think, um, acknowledging pawn structures. So try to make less weaknesses <laughs> with your pawns <laughs> if you can. <laughs> All great advice. The last question from a follower, um, his Twitter handle is legal moves only. He's about uh, 1300 on chess.com. He says his repertoire is very basic. For white, he plays the bishop's opening for black, the Karl Khan and King's Indian defense. Um, he said it's getting a bit boring for him and he wants to know what, what he should do to spice things up. <laughs> it's very tricky because when you say that uh those are karakan is more positional but like king's indian is a very right. sharp defense so what do you mean by spice things up personally personally i would recommend in the beginning everyone should learn some classics and very principal openings that involved uh, the occupying of the center. So I would really, really emphasize on that. You have to have that knowledge, uh, basic knowledge. You have to have that foundation in order to be able to best understand the differences and understand uh, the dynamics of positions, like why sometimes you can play a defense like the Karokan. So that's why I would recommend first getting a solid understanding on things like e4, e5, d4, d5, c4, c5, um, those answers and just learning something solid and then going from there into something that involves a lot of dyna dynamic chess. King's Indian is a type of defense that involves calculation, uh, how fast you are. You know, even if you put the engine to run positions to understand when, you, when you're preparing Obviously, um, the 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 change of the evaluation is the the evaluation is going to change every five seconds. Like you will see winning for black, and then wait a second, it's not winning actually. If you go through the line, so it's so sharp that even at high level, I think you know you you really need to spend a lot of time calculating and things. So really, um, uh, it it is important to have that basic knowledge with. Um, you know, classical opening that involves occupying the center, in my opinion, like immediately occupying the center and trying to hold on to it so that you can, you know, develop your sense of um, being more dynamic and things like that. I hope that's helpful for him and everyone else listening because, you know, you you might not agree with me. Maybe other coaches offer you know, different approaches, and it's fine. Just uh, learn to understand yourself, learn to understand yourself as a player, learn to understand your own psychology, so that when you take the decisions as to what you're going to do, it's going to be an informed decision. 
And don't forget, openings are great. And I do think it's important to uh, learn them. However, uh, there are other parts of the game that a lot of people neglect because they think the openings are the most important. Sure, certainly in the past, you know, 20 years with in the age of, you know, computers, um, where you spend the time analyzing so much and it's so easy to to get an answer. Of course, openings become have become more more and more important, but other parts of the game don't need to be neglected. So don't forget to spend time on those too. Make sure you balance your time so that um, you become an overall good player and not just focus on openings. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. I love it. Um, so yeah, thanks for taking a moment there, um, Sabina, to, to answer those questions from my followers. I'm sure they'll appreciate it as well as everyone else listening to, because, uh, many people often share the same challenges. So that's, that's great stuff. You know, you spent the vast majority of your life, I think it's fair to say, you know, in competitive chess and, and teaching chess and <laughs> all things related to chess. If you hadn't gone that route in your life, what other mm-hmm. career would be exciting to you? So I gotta say, recently, I've started streaming too. So I've met some very nice people there, actually. Uh, Sometimes they're trolling me, of course, but oftentimes, you know, they give some advice and they they make me think about how I am as a person too, because you usually see the people close to you telling you this and that, and you see yourself in a certain way too. But um, sometimes, you know, new eyes from from the outside could see different things. And recently, I've come to realize that I am dramatic somehow. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't think I was. But but apparently, sometimes I can I can be dramatic. So uh, and this is something that my mom actually often said um, that, that as a kid, and I wouldn't believe her, I thought she was just joking. But now that more people seem to say it, so I think it would be an actress <laughs> because ah. I, apparently <laughs> I have so much to give and I can change mood <laughs> in five <laughs> seconds. And I'm genuine. Like, I, I, I'm not faking it. I'm genuine. So imagine if I could put that into, <laughs> into a role. That would be amazing. I think actors are just... some. There are some great actors out there that, you know, just... And I think it's similar to chess a little bit too, the idea of being an actor, because you have to put together this new persona, which is not you, and you have to be creative in doing that so that it it, it shares those, emo- the, those emotions with your viewers, the people who are going to watch the movie. So I feel like I would be great at that. Who knows? Maybe there's <laughs> still a chance, you know, Never if know. someone... If someone hears this, you know, this this uh, <laughs> podcast and then they are like, oh, yeah, Sabina, let's get you to start to make a movie. I'll probably go immediately. But um, yeah, so that that would probably be something, um, something that that I, I probably would have been if, if it wouldn't be chess. Like, I, I think I could be good at it. But there are so many other things. But since you told me one specific, I thought about that. And I was like, you know what? If I could, that would be it. So actress. That's, that's great. I love that. That's I, yeah, I didn't see that coming. Even as you were kind of setting it up, I didn't know that that was going to be the answer. See, so it's perfect. That is perfect because I keep you in suspense and that's what, you know, suspense. And I yes. think that's that's what an actor, a good actor should be able to do. So exactly. who knows? Well, maybe maybe I'll know. change careers. Who knows? Yeah. 
that would be uh, really cool if you did uh, ever um, did a little acting. That would be a lot of fun. Sabina, it was so great chatting with you. I really appreciate you taking the time today to talk with me and um, and sharing, you know, your journey and, you know, at the end, your advice with helping people with chess too. Just great hearing everything that you had to share. I really appreciate it. And um, I, I just want to thank you for, for being on the show and taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you all for listening and uh, have fun playing chess. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of my business, Adult Chess Academy. And that has a website with the same name if you want to look for it. You can also find me being way too active on Twitter by searching my username, Lona underscore chess. See you next week.